Let us join together in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. is not uplifted. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would love to share a moment with the children. If you're here in the sanctuary and you want to come up and sit with me here, that would be wonderful. And if you're worshiping from home or on vacation somewhere, get a little closer to your screens and we'll spend a moment together. 
So glad you're here. Come on up. I hope some of you were at Vacation Bible School this week. I heard it was really fun. Come on up. Glad to see you. Well, when you were sitting out there with your parents, you may have seen one of them holding up, or maybe you got to hold a red book. I don't, mine isn't red, it's blue, but it's the same book. It's called a hymnal. And this is the book we use to sing from, all our songs that we sing. Is it black? It is kind of black, isn't it? And it's got my father's name on it. It's on Father's Day. It was my dad's hymnal. Isn't that special? So this is our songbook. These are the songs that we sing in worship together. We praise God. We ask God for help. We uh, ask God to, to make the world a better place through all of these songs that we sing. Well, there is, in some ways, a songbook in the Bible. If you go home and you get one of your Bibles that you have at home and you open it right to the middle, chances are you'll land in the book of Psalms. P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. It's kind of hard to say. But it's basically a book of songs and a book of poems that people for thousands of years have used to sing and to worship God and to pray. One of the things I love about the Psalms is there are 150 of them, and there's one for everything. For when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling happy, when you're feeling thankful, all the things we can feel, and we have a lot of feelings, don't we? We can express to God in prayer in the Psalms. So, next time you're feeling sad, maybe you can ask one of your parents to help you find a Psalm that will help you pray about being sad and look to God to make you happy again. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this book of songs that's in our Bible that helps give us words to pray and to talk to you when we're feeling all kinds of feelings. We know that you love us and you want to know and hear from us how we're feeling. So thank you for this book called Psalms that helps us pray. And thank you for loving us always. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, three, four, and five-year-olds can go with Pastor Maggie to Children's Church. And if you're older than that, you can go back and sit with parents or grandparents or friends. Those of you who have been part of this congregation for a little while may realize that we're coming to that time of the year when I start talking about camp meeting. So if this is your first time with us, or maybe you haven't been worshiping with us for very long, in July of every year, I go away to West Tennessee, Brownsville, Tennessee, to a family reunion that is a Methodist camp meeting. In 2026, we will celebrate our 200th year. So it's been going on a long time. And we gather for worship twice a day. We sing all of the gospel songs from the little brown Cokesbury hymnal, if any of you are familiar with that. Some of them are still printed in shape notes. And we sing the same ones every year. So as a child, it didn't take long going to camp meeting every year to learn all the songs by heart. So I don't even have to open the hymnal anymore. 
And one of our traditions when I was growing up was that on the way to camp meeting, when my parents would pack us four kids up in the wood-paneled station wagon with my brother and me sitting backwards, you know how we did back in the 70s, we'd take off for Brownsville. And as we got down the Bells Highway and started to turn on Tabernacle Road, getting, getting closer and closer to the campground, we would start singing some of those songs to get ourselves ready, to get ourselves in the mood for camp meeting, to arrive at that holy place for us. So we'd sing Marching to Zion and Love, Mercy, and Grace, and <clears throat> one of my favorites, <clears throat> On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye. It's wistful, not wishful. To Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. You can sing with me. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go song leader would do with me. I am bound for the promised land. And it felt like that. We were bound for the promised land. We were bound for sacred ground, for a holy place, for a magical week of worship and family. And those songs were our traveling music. Having traveling music is part of a long tradition of the faith. We find ourselves in the book of Psalms this week. We are making our way through the Bible this year as a congregation, and we've landed right in the middle of the book, in the book of Psalms. And you could say that these 150 Psalms are songs for the journey. They're pilgrim songs to take us through the journey of life. Whatever season of life we are in, whatever the state of our hearts, the state of our minds, whatever's going on, there's a psalm for us to travel with us in that season. But within the book of Psalms, there is in the middle of the book of Psalms an actual book of traveling songs. It's called the Songs of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, from Psalm 120, to Psalm 134 are the songs of ascent. And the theory is that these were psalms that pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, would sing and chant and recite on their way to Jerusalem. Many of the devout Jews in those days made that pilgrimage to Jerusalem or tried to make it at least once a year if they could for the Passover, for the high holy days. And the idea is that they would sing these psalms as they made that journey. Psalm 120, if you read it, begins in a foreign land where the psalmist is feeling far away from God and from the temple. And then Psalm 134, right at the end, talks about being in the house of the Lord, those who worship the Lord in the house of the Lord at night, as if they've just arrived on the steps of the temple. And then Psalm 135 is all after they've gotten there. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. And they're there in the temple. And so we can see this little package of psalms as pilgrim songs, songs for the journey. 
As I prepared for this Sunday and thought about of all 150 psalms there are to think about and preach about, which ones did I want to talk about? Selfishly, I chose my favorite. This is Psalm 131. It's a psalm that wasn't familiar to me until recent years. I just It's a short little psalm. I sort of skipped over it. But once I discovered it, it took deep root in my heart, and I want to share it with you this morning. But as I dug into some of the commentary about it, most of the commentaries I read said you can't do 131 without doing 130. So we heard both of those this morning. One of them sung, the other read aloud. Psalm 130 and 131, even just these two psalms together encapsulate a journey of their own. There's a journey that begins in the depths and ends at a place of utter peace and contentment. So I want to take this little journey through 130 and 131 as we zoom out and think of these psalms as part of a larger journey and an even larger journey, the journey of life. Psalm 130 begins in the depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my cry. We can almost see the psalmist lying at the bottom of a pit, looking up, at the sky, but unable to get himself out of the pit. He's fallen into the depths, and his only hope is to cry to God for rescue. Maybe you know what it's like to cry out of the depths. Oh Lord, hear my cry. I imagine most of us at one time or another have landed in the depths whether through the loss, the death of someone we love, the loss of a job, the breakup of a relationship, a sense of loneliness and isolation, a struggle with illness or mental illness, or perhaps we have taken on the the problems and the despair in the world around us and we have just got no hope left. And so we find ourselves in the depths, in the pit, of despair. And so with the psalmist, we can cry out. As the psalmist cries out, out of the depths, we cry to you, O Lord. That seems the psalmist perhaps has been in a place of darkness because of his own sin, his own failure. He goes on to say, if you, O Lord, would count iniquities, Lord, who could stand? How many of us have been there too? the mistakes that we've made, the bad choices, the consequences, and we get ourselves in a place of shame and guilt and we don't know how to get out of it. And here's this psalm for us to help us cry out. And then into the psalm comes this voice. It's a different voice. Not quite sure whose voice it is. I think it's the voice of the Spirit that says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Offering that hope and promise that God will lift us out of that depth and plant our feet once again on solid ground. That God is with us in the depths and God is the one who will pull us out and rescue us. And it's that line, O Israel, hope in the Lord, 
that connects us with Psalm 131. Because that's where Psalm 131 ends as well. So we can imagine this psalmist being lifted out of the depths and placed again on solid ground, continuing the journey of ascent to the temple. And then we hear the voice of another psalmist, maybe, perhaps the same, saying, my eyes are not lifted up too high. I do not concern myself with things too marvelous for me to wrap my brain around, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. What an image that is. A weaned child, a child who is no longer breastfeeding, who is now having, eating solid food, resting in the arms of its mother, not asking for anything, not looking for anything or needing anything, just resting in trustful hope and love. So to go from this place of the depths into the arms of a loving God who is like a mother holding a weaned child. There are some who suggest this psalm may have been written by a woman. The last line that says, my soul is like the weaned child that is with me, perhaps suggests that. Or it's Father's Day, perhaps it was a father. But I imagine this person sitting on the steps, just about to go into the temple, taking a few minutes to rest in the presence of God after a long journey. It is an image of utter contentment, an image of being in a place where there's no more striving, no more asking, just being and trusting and resting. And I think this image speaks so strongly into my soul because we live in a world that is addicted to striving. We are all going and doing and achieving and trying all the time. We have messages and voices and advertisements coming at us all the time saying, you don't have enough. You're not doing enough. You are not enough. And we buy into this messaging and we think, oh, I'll be happy if I could just live here, if I could just have this job, if I could just have that partner, if I could just, just. And how often do we simply rest and say, I have enough. I am enough. I'm held by a God who loves me. What a radical countercultural witness we can offer to the world, my friends. If we can be those people who are able to say, I am enough and I have enough. If we take the radical choice to rest and stop striving from time to time. I think that's the whole point of the Sabbath. God has organized this good creation in a way that gives us opportunities to work and to strive and then to rest. This rhythm of work and rest. We see it in the life of Jesus. As I think of this image of a mother holding a weaned child, I think about Jesus lying in the boat with his head on a pillow, 
sound asleep. While the storm is raging and his disciples are pulling their hair out and Jesus is calm and centered and at peace. And there's something about these images that calls to all of us. There's something about this psalm that makes me want to ask myself and all of us, what are we striving for? If we think about the way we spend our days, the going and doing, what is it that we are really seeking? What do we think our destination is? What do we hope to arrive at? And do we take the time to stop the striving and let it all go and rest and abide? The truth is we are on a journey. As the people of God, we are on the move from who we are to who God is calling us to be, to what the world is now, to what we hope and God hopes the world will be. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into the prophets, and they're going to paint for us a vision of the kingdom of God, and we're not near it yet. We have a lot of work to do as the people of God. And so the striving and the journey will continue But we're striving for the kingdom of God above all else, are we not? And as we move on this pilgrimage toward the kingdom of God, as all of those Jewish pilgrims moved toward Jerusalem and moved closer to God and closer to each other, we too are called to move closer to God and to each other and never to lose sight of the fact that we can also rest assured in the unconditional love and grounding of God, in whose arms we all rest. At the end of the sermon at 845, I sang the chorus of Bound for the Promised Land one more time. And Ed Zinkowitz, on his way out of church, said, do you remember the verse of that song, the last verse of that song? It fits so perfectly with this psalm. I couldn't even believe it. Let me see if I can remember it. When shall I reach that final shore? I'll be forever blessed. For I shall see my Savior's face and in his bosom 